1: From baseball's top personalities... The great Chris Russo joins us once again. ...to the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chavin with us. You never know what
0: stories you're going to hear.
2: If you make your way down here, I I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great
3: Chris Townsend.
0: This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend.
1: Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. You're going to hear from Jermaine Dye, former A... A's pitching coach, Scott Emerson, and our own Roxy Bernstein about the Field of Dreams game that he called for ESPN. But when you talk about Jermaine Dye, he was a fantastic A. He had a great career, a World Series champion, a World Series MVP, a Gold Glove winner, a Silver Slug Award winner, and a two-time All-Star. Here is Jermaine Dye. Well, it's an absolute honor to have a great A on the program. And Since we're talking about the A's and the White Sox, yes, he played for the White Sox also, had some months or years on the south side. Jermaine Dye is with us once again. How are you? It's good to hear your voice.
2: I'm doing great. It's great to be on. Good to to talk to you guys, talk to you today.
1: Yeah, talk a little baseball. You know, I think about your time with the A's. You know, you're one of the last guys to wear 24 before uh, retired for Ricky Henderson. Just talk about your time with the green and gold.
2: Oh, I had a blast, you know, especially, you know, being able to uh, be born in Oakland and grow up, you know, literally 30, 45 minutes from there. I mean, I had a, a, a great time there. Uh, we had a great, great ball club. Um, some of the best times of my career were in Oakland, um, you know, with the Moneyball team and just being able to, uh, when I first heard that I was getting traded there, you um, you know, you can only imagine, you know, how my mind was running, you know, family members being able to see me play close to home. And um, I knew it would be a little hectic at first for the first year, but I enjoyed my time there. I had a blast. We had a good team. And I, and I wanted to make sure that I got off to a good start and kind of, you know, prove to myself and prove to Oakland why they brought me over. And uh, I had a good first year there.
1: You know, you had that young group in Kansas City that you guys all grew up with, and then they started selling everybody off. How tough was that to leave Kansas City?
2: I mean, it was tough. You know, that's kind of kind of where I like to, to you know look at where I kind of made a name for myself. Um, you know, I got traded over there after my rookie year in Atlanta, and kind of grew up with uh, the Johnny Damon's of the world, Carlos Beltrons, Joe Randa, Mike Sweeney. Um, We had a great, great team, great city to play in. I actually made that my home for four years, lived there in the offseason. And, you know, it was a great, great time. I mean, it was, it was good. You know, we showed signs of being a a good ball club. And, you know, it's just unfortunate we couldn't see that team through for a few more years to see what we actually could have done if we had a couple more pieces uh, brought in. But, uh, overall, you know, you kind of understand baseball is a business and a lot of players don't get a chance to play in one spot their whole career. So um, you move on and go to the next team and try to um, build camaraderie with those guys and uh, try to win a championship with that club too.
1: You know, basically almost every year you're with the A's, you were in the postseason. Just talk about the great success you had during that time.
2: I had a lot of great success there, you know, from day one. Um, anytime you're surrounded with uh, a, a lot of good players, uh, our pitching staff was unbelievable. Um, as you know, you know, it all starts with the uh, pitching and defense and timely hitting. So uh, for me to fit right in there with, uh, you know, the Gi- Giambis and the Tejadas and the Eric Chavez and um, Johnny Damon, and list you know, goes on. and. Um, to be able to fit right in and be around the same age as those guys, about the same amount of years in the big leagues. Um, you know, Art Howe, I mean, that that ball club, you know, I I like to feel like it was, you know, family. We all got along, we all hung out, you know, away from the ball field, did dinners together. Our kids were about the same age. Um during that time. So we had a lot in common and, you know, we just had a lot of success. And I think, uh, you know, Jason Giami was, you know, our leader. He took a lot of pressure off a lot of guys, a lot of, uh, telling guys to relax, just go out there and play our game. And, and, uh, you know, we, we had a great, great couple of seasons, a couple of hundred win years, uh, while I was there.
1: No doubt about it. And, and when you go back and look at the money ball year, whether you read the book or you saw the movie what were your thoughts on that
2: well I mean it definitely was no doubt a great um, great movie um, there were some scenes that were you know factual you know of course you know there are uh, like any movie that is made you know there is the little Hollywood touches I like to say put on it but overall that was that was pretty much our ball club. I mean, seems like all the right moves were made. Um, you know, it was just it was just a treat to, you know, be a part of something like that and be a part of a ball club like that. And um, to this day, you know, I'll never forget, you know, that twenty one season in a row where we won twenty games in a row.
1: Yeah, you look back on that. And you think about how many big hits so many guys had, especially Miguel Tejada, as you start getting into win 16, 17, and 18. I mean, was that just like living in a dream?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know what's crazy? is never changed. Like, yeah, we we kind of knew what was going on, but, you know, when we got to, like, win the 12 or 13 or 14 We didn't change. You know, the media talked about it more, but guys didn't change. We still, you know, drove remote control cars before batting practice out on the field. We still, you know, did our thing, you know, played music in the clubhouse. And uh, our routine never changed. Like, nobody panicked. And we kind of just got together and just said, hey, guys, let's go play. Um, You know, somebody else be a, a contributor tonight let's see what happens and uh you know with our pitching staff yeah of course it it became easier we didn't have to go out and put pressure on ourselves to score a lot of runs uh with that staff of zito motor hudson and you know israel all these all these guys on that team i mean it was it was unbelievable um the, the, the pitching staff that we had and i feel like they should have recognized those guys more in Moneyball, but it is what it is but you know overall you know for Scott Hattieberg to not play in the 20th game and hit a walk-off home run like that, I mean that's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it was a magic. It was a magical time, and it was so magical. They wrote a book about it, and the movie got no, nominated for an Oscar. That's how magical it was. And then you sign with the Chicago White Sox, and you end up putting up some monster years. What was it like your time in Chicago?
2: I mean, it was awesome. Once again, you know, uh, I go to a team, a ball club that, um, as a free agent on paper, I felt like I felt like you know we had a good chance to uh, do some good things over there in Chicago, and you know we basically had a bunch of like unselfish guys that were pulling on the same end of the rope. You know, you have Ozzy Ginn, who played the game before. He took a lot of pressure off. You know, playing in a big city like that, a lot of uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of reports every night um, in a big city. So, you know, it, it could be a lot of pressure playing in a big city. But Ozzy knew how to. Uh, if we were struggling, you know, he knew how to maybe say something crazy in the media to put the attention on him. And uh, you know, we just got back on track and went out there and started winning ballgames again. But, you know, once again, pitching, timely hitting, and guys pulling on the same end of the rope.
1: And I remember Kenny Williams would always use that expression, pulling on the same rope. And you end up, you know, when you you talk about winning a World Series and how special that is, and we have Jeff Blum on all the time because he's now with the Houston Astros. Just talk about your time with that group and bringing a championship to a team that, let's face it, the White Sox had literally zero playoff appearances for so many years. Just what was that like to kind of break a curse?
2: Oh, it was awesome. I mean, especially to um, go to a ball club and then, you know, out of spring training, we were probably picked maybe fourth in that division to to, to uh, not really – contend for a playoff spot so you know we got off to a good start you know kept it rolling for most of the year and then uh kind of fell off a little bit towards the end but then picked it right back up uh towards the last couple of weeks of the season and rode that wave right into uh through the playoffs but you know to be able to get get good good years out of uh and good performances out of like a bobby jinx for example, to come in and be our closer and out of nowhere and, and do what he did. I mean, we had to have a lot of breaks. You know, we didn't have that many injuries that year. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just awesome to be a part of, you know, to be able to go 11-1 through the playoffs in the World Series was unbelievable. I don't, I don't even think that'll ever be done again. Um, and um, to be able to just have fans around the city that have been diehard White Sox fans um, say that you know their parents, they're glad their parents were able to um, and grandparents able to see a White Sox championship before they passed away. That gave me chills and and just let me know how special it was to win a World Series. And um, even Cubs fans, we had Cubs fans that just were like just happy for Chicago to be able to win a championship. So when you win it in a big city and and you go around the city and hear all the stories about, you know, hoping that their team wins, I mean, it's just awesome to be a part of.
1: And you think about your entire life. You want to, as a kid growing up, you become a professional. It's like that dream to be not only a world series champion, but to be a world series MVP. I mean, looking back on it now, obviously retired, uh, but just when you think about it, you're a World Series MVP. What does that mean to you?
2: Oh, it means the world. I mean, it's something that I can honestly admit I never imagined, um, even never crossed my mind. I think what what crossed my mind was just being, growing up was just a being able to get drafted and be a, a major league baseball player someday. Uh, we all know that there are a lot of great – have never played in the World Series. So let alone uh, me winning the World Series and being the MVP of the World Series is something that I never dreamed of. Now, I think when you become a Major League Baseball player and, you know, as your career is going on, then you focus on I, I want to win a championship um, and then I want to get to the World Series, right? But, you know, when it happened, you, you, it really didn't hit me until a couple of days after where, you know, we fly home from Houston and we are about 10 of us are just sitting out downtown on rush street in Chicago and we're at a restaurant on the patio. And then all of a sudden people start coming up and just, you know, congratulating you and just saying MVP and all this stuff. I think that's when it really sets in, and and you realize, oh my God, I was the MVP of the World Series. I'm I'm I am blessed. Now, being an MVP, you have to have a lot of luck. You got to have a lot of good players around you. I mean, any you know, Joe Creedy could have been MVP also. So, I just happen to have the game-winning hit in the eighth inning and the game four to help us win the World Series, right? So, um, but definitely feel blessed. It's, it's an honor to be called an MVP of the, of, you know, the White Sox and, and all that. And, uh, you know, it's definitely special.
1: I love how you've connected, uh, you've kept the connection with the organization and, and with <laughs> Illinois. Talk about the golf tournament that you put on every single year. It's a great charity event.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a great event. It's fresh start caring for kids. So it's based out of San Diego. Um, been around for 25 years, over 25 years now. And what it is, is uh, we've teamed up with Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego and Comer Children's Hospital in Chicago. And we have to raise money for either kids, it doesn't matter who it is, that are either born with a deformity and can't afford, you know, insurance because it's cosmetic. What we do is we we, we, uh, bring these kids in or teenagers or whoever. And we, uh, the, the, the doctors do the surgeries for free. They donate the hospitals, donate the OR rooms, um, for free. We just have to raise money to, to put them up, uh, during the time that they have the surgeries and, you know, pay for the medicines and, the, the, the supplies and all that stuff. So it's something that, uh, that I've done now for over the tournament myself I host has been over six years, but I've been a part of it for over 10 years, 10 years now. So um, I've been in there. I've I've talked to the kids before they've gone in surgery and to just to see their smiles on their face when they come out and know that, you know, they're going to get a possibly a fresh start in life and not going to be bullied or made fun of because they may look different. Is just special and, and something that uh, I love being a part of.
1: Well, you're good people, and, and I loved covering you, and you're, you'll always be in Oakland A, and this will always be a big part of your home. Uh, and continued success. I know you're living the good life down there in San Diego. You've earned it. Be well and be safe, and let's talk again soon. And if you ever need us, let us know how we can help.
2: Oh, definitely. I appreciate it, and go A's and go White Sox.
1: <laughs> what a great career for jermaine die so we go from the slugger to our favorite pitching coach we love having scott emerson on scott emerson is one of the best pitching coaches in baseball just not from the physical standpoint but also what he has for these pitchers mentally here is emo well hello scott emerson how are you i'm
3: doing good how are you guys doing i i am doing well so uh are, are you are you doing the manager show today uh, i i've i filled in i guess i filled in yes
1: (laughs) well i i gotta think for you the last two days i mean it's historic we've never seen this before in the history of baseball eighth inning on pinch at home runs to win games i mean for you as a pitching coach where you live and die with every single pitch how tough is it for you in the dugout to watch something like that
3: well you you know it's it's uh you know two pitches uh you know it's the walk that uh gets the guy on base before that is the one that really hurts the most. I mean, you got to go out there, you got to make the guy swing. Uh, the tying run definitely has to swing the bat. So, you know, I mean, it's it's part of baseball, I guess. It's baseball, you know, you go out there and you try to give your best each and every day and just two pitches can tell you how costly they were. You know, uh, we kind of didn't get one where we wanted it and uh, didn't get up and in enough and the other one uh, just uh, cut across the plate and both hitters beat our guys to the spot and... And hit the homers.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's what they've done all season long. I mean, they're coming up late in the innings. Uh, they're coming hunting. And they've done, the Giants have had kind of a magical year, and they've done that. But when something like that happens, take us through the process of whether it's Sunday or whether it's today. Do you guys go over video? How do you relive it, and how do you want to correct it?
3: Well, I, I don't think you really want to relive it. Uh, you know, like I talked to A.J. yesterday and I learned a, I learned a lesson in the seventh grade when I missed a jump shot uh, to win the game. And uh, I was crying and my dad told me never to cry again or he's going to, you know, whip my tail. And pretty much the moral to the story with, with A.J. is I'd rather have a guy, you know, take the last shot and brick it than the guy who's unable or not willing to take the shot. And that's kind of how I described it to A.J. Hey, you're going to be in these moments, uh, hopefully for you know, a long time. And sometimes you're going to win these battles, and sometimes you're going to lose these battles. But it's the next day that you got to come to the ballpark ready to go back into that battle. And I, th- I think uh, hopefully drove that home to AJ that hey, good relievers forget about yesterday. And uh, you know we've moved on from yesterday. We got a good Seattle team coming in today. You know they want to you know get after us. You know they're three games behind in the wild card, so you know we got another series to go, and it's just one game at a time right now.
1: Why do I get the sense that when you were a kid growing up, you were the biggest kid in school and you were the guy they fed the basketball to?
3: Well, that, that can be true. Uh, I, I, <laughs> even, even though I was the biggest kid uh, uh, on my high school basketball team, I, I played the point guard. I played shooting guard. So uh, those are positions that I grew you were up magic, playing. You were Magic Johnson. Hey, man, I, I was emo. I was emo. Uh, No, I mean, basketball is a great love of mine, uh, but baseball I knew would probably take me to a higher level. Were you a
1: distributor or a volume shooter?
3: Well, I can say this, uh, when I left my high school, I was its all-time leading scorer, but since then, uh, the great Mike (laughs) Bibby has taken over. Really? The great Mike Bibby took over uh, most of my records. I think he sprained an ankle in Tucson, if I can remember correctly. So uh, I think the only uh, thing I got left uh, over there in basketball is minutes played. But my high school basketball team, Shadow Mountain High School out of Phoenix, Arizona, has been uh, the last couple of years the only public school to play in the Geico National Championships. And Mike Bibby was the uh, the head basketball coach for several years, and he took them on to win seven straight, or about I think they won maybe five or six or seven uh, state titles under his command. And plus they won one or two while he was playing. So... Uh, my high school basketball program uh, is, a, is a good program. The
1: great Mike Bibby, last guy to lead Arizona Wildcats to a national championship under Lute Olson. That's right. If you remember way back when. But, you, you know, when you talk about I, – I think about relievers to me are kind of like cornerbacks in the NFL. You're going to get burnt. It's just going to happen in the NFL. The way the rules are, everything's set up for offense, kind of like how baseball is now. You're going to get burnt. I I like how your theory is. is like, you got to forget about it. It's going to happen. you got to be ready to go the next day.
3: Yeah, I mean, you you learn from your mistakes. You know, I know uh, uh, our great farm director of the past, Keith Lippman, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, I saw. uh, You know, he made us read books all the off seasons and give presentations to all the coaches. And we we read a book by uh, Dr. John Maxwell, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. So, you know, you get out there on that uh, diamond and you make some mistakes, you better start learning from those mistakes. And and the guys that uh, learn from those mistakes are the guys, in my opinion, that stay around and that are sustainable for years and years and years. And the guys who keep making the same mistakes over and over again are the ones that you find them in AAA wondering why they're not back in the big leagues.
1: You've educated us multiple times about pitching is about disrupting timing and the hitters timing. And we recently had Sergio Romo on. And the thing that I love about Romo's one pitch, and we've been watching him flip that breaking ball up there for many, many years. He's got three World Series rings. He's very accomplished. But I think what people don't realize is when you have that kind of control over that pitch with different speeds, different type breaks, it can be the big slurve. it can be tighter, it's one pitch. But really, it's multiple pitches when you look at all the different ways he can throw it. If you could explain that for us.
3: Well, you know, like uh, you have, you know, your fastball. The fastball can go to arm side, it can go arm side up or down, it can go to glove side up or down, and same thing now with breaking balls. You got what we call back door, and that's leaving it to your arm side with a left-handed hitter and a right-handed pitcher. Or you got what we call the front door, which is throwing it inside right-handed pitcher to a right-handed hitter. So now you're seeing a lot of guys being able to spin the ball to both sides of the plate. We didn't see this maybe uh, 10 years ago. I mean... We saw some of the greats being able to do it, and those are Hall of Fame pitchers. But now you're seeing more and more pitchers being able to do that. But the ability to throw the hard – Breaking ball followed by a soft one is the same thing that I always talk about If hitting is time and pitching is disruption of timing. He's just disrupting the timing with one pitch. And that's, that goes for your four-seam fastball and your two-seam fastball. Generally, your two-seam fastball is two to three miles an hour off your four-seam. You're still throwing a fastball, but you're changing speeds in that fastball. And then when you get a fastball close to somebody's eyes and you get that fastball uh, down and away, you get that perceived fastball look. You know, if you look at an airplane up in the sky and you see that airplane fly by, you're you're thinking it's not moving very fast. But if you're sitting on the runway and uh, that thing is closer to your eyes, that thing's moving really fast right by you. And that's the ability, that's why location is important to being able to change speeds as well. And that's what Sergio does real well.
1: And I just wonder, in in the land of velocity that we now live in, that someone like Yasmero Petit and someone like Sergio Romo can be so successful because these guys never see 86 to 88. They're seeing 98 to 100 miles an hour coming out of the bullpen night after night after night. Then all of a sudden, I'm thinking about a hitter. You're like, oh, my, you know, you haven't seen that speed since like high school, maybe in college. How much is their lack of velocity really helped them?
3: Well, you know, too, if you look at uh, you know all these kids and everybody's training for uh, velocity, yet they're throwing a lot more sliders today than they ever have thrown before. So those sliders, those sliders that Romo and the cutter that Petit are throwing, almost equal to uh, the predominant sliders that a lot of guys around the league are throwing. So, you know, I think the ability for them to locate their pitches is the thing that's most important. I mean, just think if. Uh, in my opinion, if you really look at a good pitcher, take his velocity away. See what he can do without velocity. If if uh, Yasmiro Petit and Sergio Romo had velocity, how dominating would they really be, you know, if they, had, if they threw 99 to 100 with those pitches, they'd be off the charts so good because they got that ability to command the baseball and spin the baseball and put it where they want to. Some of these guys that come out and they throw 95 to 100, and in two years they can't throw 95 to 100 anymore, but they don't know where it's going, those guys are out of the game. But, you know, with a guy like Romo and Petit being able to, to throw their baseball where they want it, they're sustainable. They're going to they're gonna find themselves on teams because at the end of the day, that's going to be what's really valuable. If a starting pitcher is cruising
1: and he looks great and he looks strong, and let's just say he's at 100, 105, what should be the max he should be able to go? Because I just get the sense, you know, it doesn't matter what baseball games you're watching. It's almost like the dugout, there's alarms going off when it hits 100 pitches. I mean, is it 120, 130? What, what should he be allowed to go? What would you like?
3: Well, I I still like, you know, 15 pitches and in inning times, nines 135. If you're going out there and you're cruising and you get four days off all the time, and now with more off days, you get five days off, I don't really see any any worry that a guy can't go 135. The, the, what's happening is what you said is we're we're limiting pitchers in high school now in college. What was going on in my opinion where guys were getting hurt is they were throwing on two and three days rest. They weren't rested. You got to get these guys their four days, get them rested. Every now and then you get a fifth day because of so many off days, and you know. But you got to be able to go 135 and be in the ninth you can't be 135 in the fifth and sixth inning. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't just go out there and just throw bullets all over the place. You've got you to gotta be kind of economical. You know, we've always said to pitchers since I've been around this, uh, you know, I've been around this professional game since 1992, so that was my first year. I haven't missed one, that uh, three pitches or less We'll take four pitches or less, but we'll settle for five pitches or less. That's three hitters. That's 15 pitches per inning. But right now in the big leagues, we got about 17.5 pitches per inning. But let's get back to the 15 pitches per inning. Then these guys could go longer in the games.
1: Well, then, uh, you know, that's almost like Nucle Nucle Lelouch hit the bowl when you're talking about 135 and 5.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, you know, what, it was it New Carolina League record, 18 walks, 18 strikeouts, or whatever? You don't want to do that. Uh, but my point is, you know, there are no studies out there that say what the pitch count is. I mean, if 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 we were throwing 135, 25 years ago with less injuries, and then all of a sudden now we're throwing uh, 100 with more injuries. You know, there's more injuries maybe because the, the pitchers quite frankly, have more to do. Their weight training, their arm care, they're throwing a lot more. I mean, if you do more, in my opinion, you could be sustainable or you could be subject to being hurt by doing so much. There's less long distance running in the game. Uh, we're training for just a, a, a three second burst. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of theories out there. What I like to do is go back and go, this is what we used to do. This is what we do now, whether it's good or bad, there's some different changes that have gone on in pitching.
1: Well, I just love how you got all these scientists around you now down there, uh, in the bullpen with all that technology, spin it this way, do it this. I mean, technology in the game's not going away and it's helping these guys. Yeah,
3: I think, you know, you know, the science of it, you know, what's funny about, you know, you can see science. I like data. The data is important to me. The science part of it where, oh, you got to change your delivery one, and then two years later somebody else is going to tell me you got to do something different, I don't like that. You know, uh, why didn't you get it right two years ago? So what I like is the basic guidelines of what I like for a pitcher to do. Get his foot down, be on time, have the arm up. There's certain guidelines that I like. If these guys can hit them guidelines, then I'm good with them.
1: You are the best, my friend. Be well. And I can't wait to listen to you on the manager's show today. Ah,
3: well, thanks for having me.
1: Anytime you get emo on the air, it's fabulous. Roxy Bernstein who calls games for the A's, ESPN, Pac-12 Network, Touchdown Radio Network, you name it. Well, he got the honor of calling the Field of Dreams game between the White Sox and the Yankees for ESPN. Well, now joining us, as he does every single Friday, from ESPN, the Oakland A's, Pac-12 Network, the Touchdown Radio Network, the great Roxy Bernstein. And Roxy, I want to know, last night was so much fun, the Field of Dream games. Did you actually plant corn in your backyard (laughs) on the peninsula so you could get the feel?
0: I did everything I could to make it feel like I was there. I mean, it was just a fabulous night celebrating the game of baseball. They, me, Chris, you know, you and I, look, we criticize the game and they tend to screw some things up. They could not have had a more perfect night last night. And everything went right. The weather was perfect last night in Iowa. The game was just a fabulous game. It could not have gone scripted any better. In fact, for me, in the Field of Dreams movie was great. They could make a movie about the game and the event last night. That's how good that night was last night in Iowa.
1: Yeah, Kevin Costner, who, you know, we've grown up our whole lives watching, one of the great actors of his time, watching him come out of the corn, you're like, wow, this place is amazing. And the aerial views. And I was just thinking. You know, this kind of reminds me of, like, the outdoor games and hockey. I bet we're going to see this every single year. If you're baseball and you built the stadium, why wouldn't you? I mean, if you're the A's, why wouldn't you want to go play there? It'd be awesome. I, I think
0: every team ha- would be excited about going there and taking part in this. And it sounds like the Cubs are going to be involved next year. That's the rumor. That And David Ross hinted as much I, earlier this week. Uh, about the possibility of the Cubs playing in a Field of Dreams game in 2022. And, you know, my, my, I think it'll be a Cubs-Cardinals. That's just my guess. Because St. Louis originally was supposed to be in it last year. And then, of course, everything got postponed because of COVID. So uh, I, I do anticipate it being a fixture in here to stay. And, look, I was texting with Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox this morning, uh, the Cal kid from the North Bay, and he, it's like, this is a night I'm never going to forget. It was just an amazing experience to be a part of. And I, I think that's the reaction. You could see it on the players' faces. And Chris, I talked to both managers before the game Miguel Cairo, who was managing the White Sox last night because Tony La Russa wasn't there because of a death in the family, and Aaron Boone. Both of them, you could see what it meant to be a part of that event last night. And Aaron got really emotional when talking about what it means to him to play there. And just, again, seeing the players emerge from the cornfields celebrating the game. It just, and the movie in 32 years, since field of dreams was released, it could not have been a better night for major league baseball.
1: Yeah. I, you know, watching the game, I brought my kids over. I explained it to them. It's one of the great baseball movies, father, son, uh, legendary actors, And I'm going to have them watch it now. But just the way they did the stadium, they made everything look old school. I, I, I just I think, yeah, as you said, a win for Major League Baseball. And I think, you know, a win going forward. And I mean, you could have a lot of I mean, you could have college teams play there, minor league teams. Just that plot of land because of that great movie has become so special in baseball
0: lore. And look the, the the touch with the uniforms and bringing the uniforms back from the, and trying to recreate them from the early 20th century, um, just everything about it the the manual scoreboard in right center field. Okay, yes they did have the video board, but I like the way that they cut the MLB logo into the corn dreams of the grandstand, the White House, and the picket fence. And unfortunately, they couldn't turn the playing field from the movie into the field for last night and the stadium, because I guess it's just, there was some issue with, I know they looked into it and tried, but they couldn't do it. That's why they built the stadium where they did adjacent to that field from the movie. But again, seeing the players emerge from the cornfields last night, seeing balls disappear and all the home runs that were hit last night into the cornfields, It was just an amazing setting the sunset that we had last night for that game and just everything was to a tee last night and it could not have been scripted any better. It really couldn't have been. And then you have the dramatics of the game, right? The ninth inning with two outs, our guy Liam Hendricks gives it up on, on a pair of two run homers to judge and then to Stanton and then to see Tim Anderson, walk it off in the bottom of the ninth inning and the fireworks shooting off up above Field of Dreams. Just an amazing, beautiful scene. And just, not just for baseball, but connecting with family and your, the relationship with your dad. And look, you and I growing up and how influential our dads were and our love for the game of baseball. That's what I identified with the most last night, is just growing up. And I felt like a kid again watching that game, to be honest with you. You even had a hot air balloon roll by. How about that? All of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? But I, I was doing the game, and, and Greg Olson, who I did the game with, the former closer, he was a Rookie of the Year with the Orioles in 1989. He was my partner last night on the ESPN radio broadcast. And he was so jealous that he didn't have an opportunity like this. He accomplished a lot of great things in his major league career and had a fabulous run as a, as a closer in the big leagues. But and I think every – Player that's the sediment around baseball today is they're jealous that they were not part of what the White Sox and the Yankees got to experience last night.
1: Well, now knowing what you're telling us, the smartest thing they ever did was not get rid of the original field because watching it, knowing that everybody can go to the original field, it's still the exact same. The house where they filmed where Kevin Kosser was living and all the different buildings right there. If you just would have put a big stadium there, it, it wouldn't be the same. The fact that they kept the original field the way it is and people can still go out there, play catch with their dad, their daughter, mom. I, I I think that was that in the end, hindsight, I bet they're like, you know, we did it right.
0: They did. And look, it was even great celebrating the day before, I believe Kevin Costner was there playing catch with his kid and, and they were having a catch and, Uh, Aaron Boone it's funny I taped an interview with him pregame Chris and I asked him the last question I asked him was are you going to go have a catch he goes absolutely and he literally walked out of the manager's office got off the zoom with me and went and played catch on the original site and that's what it was all about last night nostalgia uh, for when we were kids, and, uh, we loved the game growing up. Aaron Boone's a baseball junkie like we are and just loves the game growing up around the game, of course, with his family's relationship to the game of baseball. And it was a little unfair. I asked him, do you think it means more to you than to somebody else? And he goes, I-, I can't say that, but I can tell you how much it means to me. And that he wanted to make a point to go to the original field and play catch on that diamond tells you all you need to know about the significance of last night.
1: Yeah, Liam Hendricks on the television broadcast, our buddy Liam, front of the program, talked about he went through the maze, he went over to the original field. It seemed like all these guys realized uh, we want to we want to take it all in, going to the original house. I know they have a, a memorabilia place, but sounds like all the players wanted to participate, just not showing up and getting ready for the game the day before. But they all wanted to really soak it all in, which is cool, which I think we'll, we'll see that for years. As I said, Rocky and you're, uh, Roxy, uh, you're, you're a big hockey fan. It's It's got kind of
0: like the outdoor game in some ways. It's really special. Yeah, it's a lot like the Winter Classic. You're right, that all of a sudden you choose a destination. But this is a little bit different because the Winter Classic is mostly in football stadiums, right, that we've seen them play – uh, at the Big House in Michigan, right? We've we've seen them go to Fenway Park or and, and Yankee Stadium and play a baseball or a hockey game. This is different because of the significance. And look, you're driving along in the middle of nowhere, right? you in the sticks in Iowa. It's cornfield after cornfield. And all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, there is this baseball field. And that was the site of the game last night, the first major league game. Ever in the state of Iowa, and it was played at what was a cornfield. And I just think that it, the significance of what was accomplished by Major League Baseball can't be lost on what we saw. And if you tried to recreate that in another sport, I don't know how you could do it. I mean, the winter classic to an extent, right? There's no way to do it in football. or I don't in the NBA. it's not like I know college basketball, they tried to play games on aircraft carriers, stuff like that. I mean, maybe if you went back and you played a college game in the gym that Hoosiers was built in. You know, something like that is the only thing that would be uh, equ- uh, equivocal to what we saw last night in Major League Baseball. And just with the love affair that so many people have with the game, and all, and the baseball movies that they have just translated and resonated with people over the years, and certainly we can relate because it's not just a baseball movie, Fields of Dreams. It's about relationships. It's about a father and a son, and I think that's why it registered so deeply with so many people last night.
1: And then before that game, the athletics went out, and I thought it was a, a great game planned by Bob Melvin. Two touchdowns early, kicked a field goal, and then played defense the rest of the way, and another shutout. I really liked the way they played yesterday.
0: I'm really upset Bob didn't go for two, though. You know, you, you, when you got him on the ropes, you got to kind of rub it in their face, right? He should have gone for two. Darn it. I mean, Jim Harbaugh would have said, what's your deal? But uh, Steve, they, they're playing great right now. They're Steve, absolutely playing it's, it's so fun to watch this team right now. Steve Spurrier would have tried to go for 62. <laughs> well, you're just going to put the lights on. We're going to kick them ball off. We're going to see how many points they can put up on the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> the old ball coach. But no,
1: yeah, they're right. Right now, you look at this new lineup and you look how this team is rolling right now, Roxy. Uh, it, it, they're right on the Houston Astros heels. And just and just watching the Yankees, you know, they either got to hit a home run or score. I, I so love the way the A's have remade their offense. So they're not like the New
0: York Yankees. The one thing about the Yankees is, Chris, they're going to start getting healthy here soon. Now, their schedule gets a little bit more difficult coming up. And talking to Aaron Boone last night, Corey Kluber's on a rehab assignment. He just went out. Luis Severino just uh, finished his third rehab assignment. Or he's making it tonight. Um, Garrett Cole, they expect to come. He's thrown a bullpen today. They expect him to come back off the injured list. Um, you go on and on the COVID list. They're hoping to get Rizzo back soon. Chapman will be back soon. Urshela did have a setback in coming back from his hamstring. So the Yankees are going to get healthier. And that's, I, I think, significant for them. But keep in mind, you know they got some head-to-head games with the Red Sox. The A's still have the four-game set with the Yankees. They still have to play the Rays. But they're getting healthy. We know the White Sox are going to continue to run away with the Central. Nobody's going to challenge them. But it, it'll be interesting to see the race in the East between Tampa Bay that all of a sudden has a bit of a cushion, Boston, the Yankees, Toronto's in there, where the A's, okay, you're chasing Houston, but you're in a really good spot as far as the wild card goes also, but as we, you and I know, Bob Melvin's not even looking at the wild card right now. All he's looking at is the Houston Astros and his ball club, and that's all he's concerned with until I think he needs to worry about the wild card.
1: Well, the thing about the A's, too, this new lineup, they're 8-1 and one with this new lineup. With the new guys, 8-1, and one, it is just... They, they they've changed their look, Roxy. They're just talk about how they're just just the way they're, they're everybody's stealing bases now. They're they're scoring runs without having to hit home runs. We love home runs, but they're scoring without having to hit home runs. They're
0: playing a very refreshing style of baseball and a fun style, right? With how much they're running recently, and it's not just Marte running, but Canna. We've seen him go. Matt Chapman has been running. Um, certainly, the energy that Josh Harrison has provided and hopefully it's not a significant thing that he's dealing with right now, but it just seems like it's been contagious, right? You look at yesterday and the last couple days, I've been encouraged by what I've seen from Matt Chapman. We know he struggled and he walked five times yesterday and had a big hit in the ball game the other night. So it it looks like he's maybe turning the corner a bit and putting together better at bats. Um, Jed Lowry continues to do what he's been doing all year and everybody's getting into the act. And you need that this time of the year. You can't just rely on Lowry and Matt Olson to carry you. And that's, I think, the boost that Marte and Gomes and Harrison have given this team is more depth to the lineup, more options, and guys that can lengthen the lineup and make it that much more difficult to pitch against.
1: I mean, just to f- think about that. You're talking about you just can't rely on Jed Lowry. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs>
0: And the New York Mets have to just cringe every time they see a Jed Lowry highlight, considering how much money they paid Jed for just nine games over the last two years. And he comes back to the A's, and this is where he's comfortable, and the place he's been able to stay fresh and healthy, and the A's done a great job of managing that. And it's just unbelievable to see him come back, and like he hasn't missed a beat at all. What do you got this weekend? Uh, I am actually off this weekend. The big news is my daughter starts high school on Monday. So I'm trying to come to grips with that. And then next Wednesday, I'll have the Brewers and the Cardinals. Um, A week from Saturday, I'll have the White Sox and the Rays. And then uh, after that, I've got back-to-back Saturday, Sunday at the Coliseum, Yankees A's uh, Saturday afternoon and Sunday night baseball. Yeah.
1: Have it. Do you think it's a shocker that the A's are in Sunday night baseball and they're playing the Yankees? I mean, that's out of left field right there.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? The options weren't very good for ESPN that day. And there were four games from my understanding that were on the table. They were looking at one of them was the, the Cubs white Sox, but they weren't going to put the Cubs on Sunday night, considering what's left of the Chicago Cubs. All right. That took it out of the equation. Um, the other games, um, there was one other matchup, I can't remember what it was, that they just said no. The the Giants-Atlanta was a possibility, but then the Giants were Sunday night baseball against the Dodgers the following week, and Atlanta's kind of teetering in the race a bit. So they figured out, ah, we got the Giants next week, let's, let's not do them two weeks in a row. So it made sense, and the A's getting a Sunday night home game, which is awesome to see. And Hopefully the fans respond and put out a great showing for Sunday night baseball and national television and see the A's and the Yankees wrap up that four-game series.
1: All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the first day of high school. We'll talk oh. to you next <laughs> oh.
0: We'll talk oh. to you next week. I still can't come to grips with this one, Chris. I just can't. <laughs> Not yet. All right, buddy. Be well. Be
1: safe. You too. See ya. Well, that'll do it for A's Unfiltered. We gotta thank Jermaine Dye, Scott Emerson, and Roxy Bernstein. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
1: It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution